Hello and welcome. We are your Sweet Valley Highnesses, Vanessa and Jasmine. And today we are discussing book number 22, Too Much in Love, originally published August 1st, 1985. Topical. That's right, Vanessa. This book was published just two short years before you were born, which means this book is almost 33 years old. Wow. Rude. (laughs) Well, anyway, I know we have a lot of new listeners. Thank you so much, by the way. So I thought we could maybe fill everyone in on who we are and kind of why we do the podcast. Good idea. So we're sisters and we started this show as a way to keep in touch when Jasmine lived in Hawaii and I live in LA. We thought Mm -hmm. maybe if we had a reason to call each other every week, we'd actually stick to it. Then we realized that making a podcast every week is insanely hard. Like crazy bonkers hard. Yes. So we regrouped (laughs) and now we do them once a month. We chose Sweet Valley High because we were introduced to the series when I ran out of books to read in the children's section of our local library, and a kindly Mm -hmm. librarian pointed me towards the YA shelf. I was intrigued by the image of a frightened blonde woman on the cover of book number 13, Kidnapped. I almost said frightened. (laughs) Kidnapped. So we started there. And Jasmine copies everything I do, so she started there, too. Okay, rude. I also like the image of a frightened blonde woman on the cover. Not that I'm into frightened blonde women. They're not really my type. Mm -hmm. Um, Unless they're currently being indicted in a gigantic college admission scandal. Yeah, same. And speaking of getting indicted, have you been keeping up with fake Russian princess and alleged grifter Anna Delvey? Do you mean the Soho grifter? Yeah, she's like a Sweet Valley High side character come to life, I think. Yes. So, um, if you guys don't know who she is, we have mentioned her on the podcast before, but it was like way back when the story first broke about a year ago. So, for those of you who don't know who Anna Delve, I think it's actually Delvey, who Anna Delvey is, she's a 28-year-old woman who is on trial right now for trying to get a $22 million loan for an art hotel project, kind of like a Soho house type of place using fake bank statements and also she grifted like a bunch of her friends and hotels and restaurants in manhattan yeah but i don't think that's what she's being indicted for technically but yeah she's just an all-around shady character so this story broke when vanity fair and the cut published stories detailing the various grifts anna pulled on people in the manhattan (laughs) art scene um, and you should really read both of those articles if you haven't, because <laughs> they're, they're amazing. And the lies Anna orchestrated are like what would happen if Suzanne Devlin lost all her money and was a Russian national. It's amazing. Okay, so an update on the Soho Grifter. Uh huh. She's now on trial, and okay, she's being held in Rikers. Okay, she, she has refused <laughs> Not great. to show up. Not great. Very bad, I would say. Yes. She has refused to show up to court multiple times because she didn't like her prison clothes Mm -hmm. slash the outfit that her lawyer brought for her. Oh, because her lawyer has hired a celebrity stylist to style her in court because, quote, it's an important part of her image. But I don't even think it was an important part of her image because if you read the articles, one of the funniest aspects of them is that um, one of the reasons multiple people state for having believed that she was this super rich person when she wasn't 
is mm-hmm. because she just dressed like such a scrub all the time. Like she would wear around like dirty Lululemons and like her hair was a mess and she would just come into these fancy New York like places to eat dinner, <laughs> restaurants they're called. And she was just like so didn't give a fuck on the scrub level that people were like, wow, this bitch has money. Just but, a big frump. Um, but she didn't. She was probably just like not she able to no wash money. her Lululemons. Well, since then, since she's in Rikers, she has sold her life rights to Netflix and Shonda Rhimes. Shonda Rhimes is developing a TV show based on it. And, and Lena Dunham is working on a, a, like, competing or rival HBO project based on the Uh Vanity Fair article. Isn't that bonkers? It's so bonkers. Only in Sweet Valley. uh, only in Sweet Valley or the world we live in now. <laughs> the, so the most bonkers part is that people get so blinded with wealth that, like, she almost got away with it. She got yeah. away with her grifting for, like, three years. Yeah. But people in Sweet Valley, as well as our own reality, they get blinded by money and status. Yes. It's very Sweet Valley. But... The tragic part is it's real because we live in the worst timeline. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking forward to when she gets elected president and rules America from Moscow. Okay. I'm laughing but also crying because I hate this timeline. Yeah, me too. So enough about real life Sweet Valley shenanigans. Do you know what time it is? I think I do. I think it's time to yet again... Throw away life-changing opportunities for a dude you've been dating for a few months in high school because no one in Sweet Valley has received their anti-dickmatization slash HPV vaccine because this episode begins right now. The A-plot for Too Much in Love is marginal side character Dee Dee Gordon becoming 1,000% codependent on Bill Chase, her high school boyfriend, due to untreated emotional issues stemming directly from her parents' divorce. The B-plot of this book is Liz getting put in charge of running the Sweet Valley High Talent Show, which is, of course, at once a huge honor and completely overwhelming for her. The cozy plots for this book are Worst Parents in Sweet Valley, Ned mm-hmm. and Alice Wakefield deciding to go to Mexico City, and leaving the twins at home alone. Let's just mm-hmm. keep in mind that since Dee Dee started dating Bill in book number eight, Heartbreaker, Liz has been kidnapped. Yep. Jess and Liz have been stalked and assaulted by a psycho killer. Yep. And Jess was almost murdered by her boyfriend Jack, a.k.a. teenage Robert Durst. Yep. Now... I'm not a parent, but I maybe would be apprehensive about leaving these specific teen girls at home alone. Just saying. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And also, I want to say the other Sea Runner because it sparks so much joy for me. Yes, please do. Toxic masculinity Todd is acting depressed and clearly has a secret he won't tell Liz. I don't want to spoiler alert this just yet. I want to bask in the warm, sunshiny embrace of what the secret is in our full discussion. Okay. <laughs> I will do a small spoiler alert. If you uh-huh. listen to any of our super special special episodes, you'll know that my favorite timeline is coming up. 
Yep. So we open at the Wakefield's attractive split-level home as Liz fills in her family about being put in charge of the high school talent show. She's already spazzing real hard about the level of responsibility that's going to be required of her. Yeah. And she was recruited by Mr. Collins, known Ephobophiliac, which I think is how you pronounce the term for adults who are sexually interested in teenagers. My now very (laughs) sketchy Google history, search history tells me. (laughs) I tried to Um, Google it once and it was just like creepy. So thank you for doing that, Vanessa. (laughs) Yeah, it's, um, he invited her to help the talent show because he was so impressed by Liz's constant and pointless hand wringing over Mm -hmm. planning a one day carnival back in head over heels. Um, so he's asked her to take the lead on this now. Ned and Alice also tell the twins that they're going to head to Mexico City for a work-related trip, and we get a passing <laughs> mention of older brother Stephen, who is currently back at college after an understandable depressive episode following the death of his girlfriend, Trisha Martin, from leukemia. Hmm. Well, Liz frets about organizing the talent show, which I just can't get over. I know we're adults now, technically, but when Vanessa and I were in high school, we were in a class slash club called Leadership, where we would plan much larger events than the talent show weekly, all the time. Mm -hmm. It's just not that hard. We have each organized blood drives, fashion shows, dances, fundraisers. I'm not trying to, like, toot our horn. I'm just saying it's not that complicated, even for teens. Yeah, it's like you get some local sponsors, you set up some tables, you sell some tickets, and boom, you've got yourself a high school event. It's not that hard. <laughs> not hard. Anyhow, the bar is very low. It's it's resting on the ground. Yes. <laughs> just You just got to step over it. Yeah. Anywho. Liz calls up Dee Dee, a talented artist, to see if she can make the backdrops for, for like the talent show acts, I guess. And I'm also wondering why this talent show even needs backdrops. Right. I mean, I don't know about the listeners, but again, our <laughs> high school, you know, during the talent show, they for sure just had like a dusty old banner that said talent show. And I'm pretty sure they've reused it every year since 1977. There's absolutely no reason that a high school talent show would need like Broadway level set design. Right. Anyway... Dee Dee doesn't even want to be a part of building these needless sets and bizarrely tells Liz that she'll have to check with her boyfriend, Bill Chase, before she can commit. And then turns full Enid the Drip, a la Crash Landing. Yeah, here we get some exposition from Dee Dee, as well as some pretty fucked up mom shaming of her own mother. Dee Dee's parents recently divorced, and Dee Dee blames her mom for the split because it happened after she selfishly started mm-hmm. taking night classes to build herself a new career. How so Dee Dee has convinced herself, yeah, that as long as Bill realizes how much she depends on him, he won't ever leave her. Not for anything in the world. Uh, it is literally the exact same internal dialogue and the drip had post-plane crash. Yes. That as long as she gives up everything for her high school boyfriend, he'll stick around forever. Spoiler alert, teens, that ain't gonna happen. It's also called emotional abuse. And I'm glad you brought up the Enid thing because I was actually wondering why they didn't use Enid for this story since it seems very on brand for her character. Yeah. But 
you know, I guess it must be because they just did the exact same story in Crash Landing. Yeah, they needed to insert a different teen who has not yet been anti-digmatized, I guess. Yeah. So her best friend Patty, who I think might be the first diverse character we've had in the series so far. Oh, she definitely is. Patty is the very first person of color we've ever met in Sweet Valley in book number 22. Yeah, um, it's a bit overdue. Yeah. But Patty eventually gets Dee Dee to admit that she stopped attending some really cool design courses with a renowned artist because they were taking too much time away from Bill. And I would just like to say that this is an extremely whack move by Dee Dee. Extremely. Extremely whack move. <laughs> Patty seems like a pretty cool chick. Uh, she definitely has her friend's best interest in mind when yeah. she convinces Dee Dee to design the weird talent show sets. Yeah, I'd agree. But Dee Dee only agrees because Bill is going to be doing a dramatic reading and she thinks there'll be a, like a low-key way of hanging out with him. <laughs> yeah, except that nothing about Dee Dee's energy in this book is low-key. <laughs> nothing. <laughs> you know? So... We cut next to the first planning meeting of the talent show, and it is as chaotic and frenetic as anything Liz has ever planned. <laughs> Beta yes. Cuck Winston Egbert is planning a magic act and mm-hmm. ropes Jess into being his assistant without ever even bothering to ask her first. Fucking just sort of typical. An- yeah, Fucking typical. Just, he just, like, announces it in front of everyone, and she's like, okay, because she feels forced to. <laughs> Classic. So Patty is going to do a modern dance, and fucking Todd. (laughs) Todd is trying his hand at a stand-up comedy routine. Kill me. Kill me now. (laughs) The fact that this is toxic masculinity Todd's talent honestly made me laugh so hard when I read this passage because it's just like, (sighs) of course, of course he's desperate to get on the mic and really let the world know what he's feeling, even though not one person has ever mentioned that he's funny. Because he's not funny. He's a <laughs> misogynist who hates women and feels the pull of the mic. So it sounds yeah. like he'd have a booming career in 1980s stand-up. Yeah, for sure. Fucking Todd. <laughs> <clears throat> Fucking Todd. In the next chapter... Dee Dee ends up blowing off the meeting, I think because she was thirstily waiting outside the locker room for Bill to get out of swim practice. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So, uh, Patty, her BFF, who again, we've never met, and right. apparently neither have the twins, uh, Patty confides in Liz that she's pissed at and worried about Dee Dee and how she's been acting like a contestant on The Bachelor competing against herself for the affections of Bill. Yeah. Liz is definitely putting her social Ponzi scheme to work hard here, inserting herself Mm -hmm. in the middle of a problem and acting like she's really concerned. But I think we all know how this is going to play out in the end. Yeah, most likely she's going to glom onto whatever drama and scheme Patty is doing to help her friend out and then write an article about it. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. So we get a few more chapters of Dee Dee acting like a fucking maniac (laughs) (laughs) and it's both too depressing and boring to get into the details let's all just understand that the girl is embarrassing herself yes 
Yeah, it, it accumulates at the Friday night regional swim meet when she flips the F out and shoves through a crowd to congratulate Bill after he wins his race, embarrassing him with her public display of thirstiness as well. Yeah, and don't forget that she's also tricked Patty and Patty's visiting long-distance boyfriend (laughs) into coming to the swim meet with her. Yeah. And my favorite part of the entire book was this swim meet. Honestly, we Mm. get descriptions that are of the smell of bleach coming from the pool, and Patty and her boyfriend the entire time are just straight up like, why are we at a lame high school swim meet? Who even goes to these (laughs) besides the people swimming? But- Dee Dee is spiraling so hard that she doesn't even notice. I, I did like how descriptive these were. It did feel like I was at like a high school swim meet. Yes. And in these chapters, we also got hints dropped about toxic masculinity Todd's super, super happy, happy, joy, joy, most special, amazing, joy, blessing secret, <laughs> which has the opposite effect on him that it does on me. And he's way down in the dumps. In a much more interesting plot line, mm-hmm. Jess and her best frenemy, Lila Fowler, start planning a party at the Wakefields while Ned and Alice are in Mexico City. I, okay, can I interrupt? Yes. Who the fuck is Drake Howard? I know! The sophomore at Sweet Valley College Lila has apparently been dating for a few months. I know. I had to actually reread this section a couple times because I was so confused by it. So I'm glad you're you're confused by it. Three books ago, Lila and Josh were fighting over Jack, a.k.a. teenage Robert Durst. Mm -hmm. And now Lila has been dating Drake Howard for longer than Dee Dee and Bill have been dating. What in the continuity error fuck? Yeah. I mean, first of all, Drake Howard? Mm Mm-hmm. Drake Howard sounds like the name of a second-tier Ivy League legacy student (laughs) who regularly enlists the pro bono help of his father's law firm to cover up the violent crimes he commits at night. Wait, wait. Drake Howard Brock Turner. Exactly. Second (laughs) of all. ring to it. Exactly. So, you know, second of all, let's talk about why Jess thinks she needs to throw a party right now when her parents are out of town. It makes hmm. no sense because worst parents, Ned and Alice, let their 16-year-old daughters do whatever the fuck they want anytime, and neither twin even cares about drinking. <laughs> and thirdly, I don't get why Lila even wants her statutory ass boyfriend and his crew of <laughs> randoms at her friend's house. Like, they could easily just drink unsupervised at Lila's constantly unsupervised house, which has a wine cellar and is at least 20 times the size of the Wakefield's house. <laughs> which which Lila is sure to bring up by mentioning that their house is cozy and yeah. their bedroom <laughs> is the size of the Wakefield's entire second floor. <laughs> which, that was amazing. And so I'm pretty cruel. sure Lila is an agent of chaos in Jess's life. Yes, yes. Okay, I'm pretty sure that Lila is chaotic neutral. What does that mean? What's chaotic neutral? You see, like, those charts on, like, Instagram or Twitter. I have no. I mean, I've seen charts, but I don't know what you're talking about. Okay. Um, fill for time while I Google it. Okay. Okay. Okay, you're very oh. bad at that. Uh, and 
like super bad. And it turns out this is from Dungeons and Dragons. Okay. Okay. So <laughs> let's dive in. Like, okay. One axis is lawful, one is chaotic. And the cross axi are like evil, neutral, and good. So um, honestly, wait, this is kind of hard to understand without seeing it. So I think you should just put it on our Instagram so our listeners can see what you're talking about and understand. And maybe we'll label it with like where Lila and Jess and Liz are on the chart. Okay, well, that sounds funny. But honestly, once you see these charts, they're not that confusing. But we'll but put what, it on the Instagram anyway. We'll, we'll throw it up on the gram. Okay. Uh, okay. So, so Lila back to, convi- back to the yep. book. Back to the book. Lila convinces Jess she needs to invite about 30 people, specifically college men. <laughs> okay. Which anyone who's over 16 will know college boys are not men. Absolutely not. Okay, <laughs> so now we cut back to the tiny Yukon potato that rolled under your fridge and is now moldy and suffocating you with its smell of an A-plot. <laughs> <laughs> Did that happen to me? Yes. Two days ago. <laughs> Bill has agreed to go see a W.C. Fields movie with Dana Larson, the lead singer of the droids. Mm-hmm. Before he uh, meet, before he meets up with her, we learn from Bill's backstory that he suffered a terrible heartbreak back when he lived in Santa Monica. Right by your house, Mm -hmm. right, Vanessa? Only like four miles and two hours. Four miles or two hours in traffic, yeah. Yep. (laughs) Bill fell in love with a girl named Julianne, but they got in a fight once at a party. She left with one of her drunk friends and everyone died. (laughs) I'm sorry. I shouldn't laugh. These Sweet Valley kids are are walking around with a lot of trauma. (laughs) So much. (laughs) so then bill tried to surf off his grief the night she was killed and got dragged out to sea during a storm and was rescued by the coast guard i have no idea this doesn't come up again it's not important okay perfect so no point to any of that information glad we spent about three pages on it it was i would say it was almost a full chapter yeah it was a lot it was a lot of backstory (laughs) that never pays off Regardless, Dana and Bill are just friends, and it's, like, legit completely innocent. Dana is, like, seeing someone else, whatever. Um, But because Dee Dee has been acting so possessive and fragile lately, Bill figures it's best to keep it from her. I cannot imagine how this could possibly go wrong. Well, let me tell you how it will go wrong. (laughs) They run into Kara Walker and Jess outside the theater. Now, several books ago, before we began our recaps, Jess had really been enjoying toying with Bill emotionally and keeping him under the thumb, (laughs) like, just for the hell of it. Because, you know, she's somewhat of what we'll refer to as a mean-spirited loose cannon. Sure. So Bill then realized that his best gal pal, Dee Dee, was so much more than a pal, and he dumped Jess for her. Jess is clearly still harboring a grudge, and Bill knows he's fucked Right away. And we know this because Bill makes a horrible joke to himself in his head. He says, because if one of them tells Dee Dee, it looks like I'm going to be a dead duck or duck soup. What does that even mean? It's like, 
because they went to go see an old movie and Duck Soup is a movie from the 1930s, I guess. Oh, the Marx Brothers movie that I only know from Gilmore Girls. Great. Yeah, it's it's, it's, it's just a bad unfunny. joke. Unfunny. Yeah. Okay. It's just bad. Yeah. <laughs> I don't I don't really get that subversive comedy vibe from Bill. Do you? I get zero comedy vibes from most of the people <laughs> in this series. Okay. <laughs> <clears throat> well, anyway, we catch up with Jess back at home, and she is loving having the house to herself and twin. She wakes up mega early to do her laundry for the first time ever. She's 16 and has never used the washing machine. Yikes. This is going to go really well. <laughs> she also does a test run of the mini pizza she's planning on making for her first unsupervised party. I would like to read my favorite Lisburn, like, honestly, maybe ever. Go for it. All right. <clears throat> Quote, <laughs> what are you doing? Elizabeth asked suspiciously, coming in with the Sunday paper and turning on the kettle. I'm cooking. What does it look like? Jessica said, wondering if her sister was suffering from a decline in intelligence. Wasn't it perfectly obvious what she was doing? <laughs> Boom roasted. <laughs> Boom roasted. <laughs> This chapter only gets more hilarious as Jess somehow manages to break the washing machine, fill the laundry room with suds, and stir a kitchen fire, and then she bursts into tears when her parents call. (laughs) Alice is calling to let them know she left the one and only floor plan of her firm's most important client on her desk, and to be careful with it. How I love a heavy-handed foreshadowing. Yeah, I mean, I think we all know those plans are for sure getting ruined. <laughs> Duh. <laughs> Duh. Liz has a talent show planning meeting at the house, and Jess seizes the opportunity to gut punch Dee Dee by sweetly mentioning that she ran into Bill and Dana at the movies. And Dee Dee's all like, oh, um, I suddenly forgot I have to give my mom her car back right away, like right now. <laughs> it's one of the yeah. worst excuses I've ever heard in my life. And <laughs> I have to go she- feed my cat. Exactly. She runs out of the meeting, then spends the rest of her weekend ineffectively stalking Bill. Mm -hmm. She catches up with him at school on Monday and loses her shit again. They Mm -hmm. break up, and I just have to say that I'm for sure on Bill's side here. Oh, agreed. Yeah. Dee Dee never shares with Bill her alleged soulmate, her reasons for acting so fucking cray-cray (laughs) banane. She never bothers to clue him in that... It's because of her parents' divorce and misunderstanding of, like, what her mom is going through that she's right. feeling insecure in their relationship. So yeah. Bill just thinks that this is the real her and that it's over. Regardless, uh, Dee Dee, of course, runs to Liz for comfort. Like, who else would you go to? I know. In Sweet and Valley? this is Liz's social Ponzi scheme in action right here. Yeah. So... Liz counsels her to give it time. Just like, oh, he'll take you back. Just give it a minute, you know? Right. So what Dee Dee does instead is give it two class periods. And that's not really any time. That's actually actually, zero time. It's zero time. Absolutely. (laughs) Yep. She begs Bill to take her back at lunch. Like at the cafeteria in front of everyone. Humiliating. (laughs) (laughs) 
Bill knows that Dee Dee needs to find her self-worth again and that she sure as hell won't do it with him acting as an emotional crutch. And at the next talent show planning meeting, Dee Dee proceeds to drive Liz crazy with her dependence <laughs> and neediness. Yeah. Now, this is actually the best example of Liz's social Ponzi scheme at work. I like, agree. Jasmine, don't you think, like, is it that much more effort to be like, hmm, this person seems to need, need some extra encouragement today. So when they run over and ask for my opinion on everything they're doing, maybe I'll just exert literally zero extra effort and tell them, hey, that looks great. Whatever you want to do, I trust you because you have amazing taste. But instead, Liz reveals her true self-centered self and is like, She's so annoying. Leave me alone. I can't make smile because I do work now. <laughs> and also, like, the most annoying annoying thing that Dee Dee did was, like, call Liz twice the night before. And Liz was like, I am busy, even though I inserted myself in the drama. Yeah. Just, just so. Ugh. Yeah, exactly. It's just, ugh. So later on, Liz and Patty hatch a Jessica-level harebrained scheme to jolt Dee Dee out of her rut. Mm-hmm. Liz fakes an illness, sure. shockingly, and ropes Mr. Collins into yet another bonkers teen scheme. She hands the Ew. ropes over to Dee Dee and tells her that the talent show can't go on unless Dee Dee plans it. Sure. Which, yeah, I find it so funny that Liz's plan to help involves literally shoving all of her work onto an unsuspecting and submissive person she barely knows. All like of Liz's move. work. Full dick it's move. A, it's a full dick move. All of Liz's work is done. Plus, she gets the glory of having helped someone she couldn't even do a smile and nod for a day ago. <laughs> the social Ponzi scheme works. I guess that's why she always does it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I guess that is why. <clears throat> but just then, our ghost rare hit their word count. <laughs> and as literally always, problems that have taken 120 pages to write wrap up in 10. Yes. Dee Dee has an insanely self-aware epiphany out of nowhere and realizes she fucked up in blaming her mom for the divorce and that she fucked up by trying to force Bill to love her. She throws herself into the talent show and regains her self-confidence when she makes a beautiful set for Patty's dance. The talent show goes off without a hitch, and Dee Dee isn't mad at, like, Liz and Patty for scheming, since, of course, everything worked out perfectly. I mean, and Liz did plan it, so that scheme. makes sense. The scheme, <laughs> correct, yeah. And then Bill begs for her back. Oh, and don't forget that Jess throws a party. All the frat boys show up and, of course, <laughs> ruin Alice's precious floor plan she left on her Duh. desk like a dang idiot. Duh. Dee Dee also fixes that disaster, which feeds into mm-hmm. her newfound self-esteem. Handy. The cop, yep. The cops show up <laughs> to the party, and they recognize Jessica because they also apprehended her earlier, trying to sneak in through a front window, and she told them her parents were out of town and she forgot her key. So, they know there's no adults at this party. She's about mm-hmm. to get arrested, but Stephen Wakefield steps out of the shadows Takes like, literally. Yeah, literally steps out of the shadows <laughs> of the party, takes responsibility for the party to save her ass, and then bounces back to Sweet Valley University one second after the cops leave. A 
Yes. A crystal vase is also broken during the party by beta cuck Winston Egbert during an attempt to turn it into an egg. Okay. We're going to come back to that because it's bonkers, but keep going. (laughs) I mean, I don't think we need to come back to it. We're just wondering, like, was it sleight of hand magic? Was he planning on shoving the vase up? Like, like, did he have an egg, like, in his pocket or in his pants? Where was the egg coming from, sir? Yeah. And also, let's not gloss over the fact that Beta Cuck Winston Egbert insisted on performing his magic routine for a bunch of drunken frat boys. Like, read the room. Read the room, dude. (laughs) Read the room. All of this happens, by the way, while we're in a different room with other characters. So it was insanely confusing to read. (laughs) Yes, yes. We're just filled in that this happens. We're in the kitchen. Yes, exactly. Third hand. Anyway, (laughs) Ned and Alice only find out about the party because of that broken vase. And they're like, eh, we don't really give a shit. Because, of course. Duh. And Jasmine, I know you want to say the most hilarious part of the book and have been dying to this whole time. So please go ahead. Nobody can see me, but I'm literally dancing in my chair. (laughs) Okay. Are you ready? Are you ready? Yes. Are you ready? We're all ready. Todd is moving away to Vermont. (laughs) And even more hilarious is that instead of his fucking trash stand-up comedy routine, which I'm sure would have just been jokes about negging women and mansplaining, like, Louis C.K. jokes from the 90s. Oh, for sure. He reads a sad poem about saying goodbye. (laughs) Hashtag goodbye, Kyle. (laughs) (laughs) Don't let the door hit your ass on the way out. Or do. I don't really give a fuck. Leave. <laughs> Leave now. Happy days are here again. Okay. <laughs> I just want to point out that Todd also reads this super sad love poem right after Beta Cuck, Winston Egbert, Ken Matthews, and Jess perform a magic routine that the audience absolutely loves. So Todd is just the biggest buzzkill. <laughs> Toxic masculinity Todd is the worst. And now he's gone. Hey, producer Candace, is there any way you can drop some of the happiest music known to woman over this part? <laughs> like, whatever the musical equivalent of 10,000 heart emojis would be. Just like hearts. I mean, there's like angels coming down. Like, there's and like glitter and confetti everywhere. And by everyone, I mean Jasmine. Lived happily ever after. Sure did. Now it's time to rate this little book. So Jasmine, Mm -hmm. why don't you go first? Okay. So up until the part that it's revealed that the king of gaslighting, first of his neg, father of fedoras and misogyny, toxic masculinity Todd, is K-Bye leaving Sweet Valley. I would have given this book a two. Uh-huh. It It's boring. It's based around side characters we haven't heard from in ages. And the Dee Dee's self-loathing is legit copy-pasted from Eat of the Drip's self-loathing in Crash Landing. Mm-hmm. Like, a thousand percent. Points were gained back for Patty being a really supportive friend, even when Dee Dee is being very self-destructive. Yeah. Additional points gained back for this book being the catalyst into my favorite timeline. Overall, I give this book a six. 
Mainly because Todd is leaving and very hilarious read that dramatic poem at the talent show. <laughs> yeah, I would give this book a seven. Ooh. Um, Yeah, a lot of the chapters where Dee Dee is stage five clinging Bill are just treading water. There's no threat of death, which we all know makes the most exciting Sweet Valley High books really great. Mm-hmm. But... I do give it a decent score because there were a lot of descriptions in the book I'm pretty sure were just, like, trolling the standard SVH descriptor format. Mm-hmm. Also, along the same lines, this book wasn't sloppily constructed by any means. It had a lot of moments that made me laugh out loud because they seemed like a random solution to a problem, but they were planted earlier, so they didn't actually bother <laughs> me, you know? Like, yeah. for example, when Steven stepped out of the shadows to save Jess's ass at the party. Okay. I, I think this is the first time you've given a higher score than me. Yeah, it might be possible. Which is incredible. I, is incredible. I was just saving my, like, 10 score for next time when Todd is the fuck out of the picture. <laughs> I wish everyone could see what I'm doing with my arms right now. I'm, I'm, like, recording alone with my cats, and I'm just swinging my arm around in a circle. I'm so excited for him to not be here next week. <laughs> Well, I'm so excited that you're my, excited. It'll be my first 10. Perfect. So, so yeah, I've already rang the book for next week. Okay, perfect. Yeah. So now it's time for Bizarro Descriptor of the Book. Jasmine, why don't you go first? I would love to. The amazing, the wonderful, the fabulous meatloaf. Guaranteed to turn a normal healthy, red-blooded junior into a hovering basket case. You can fuck right the fuck off with that beta cuck Winston Egbert. (laughs) Care to explain what that passage is about? (laughs) All right. Well, (laughs) let's hear yours. Mine (laughs) Mine is from my favorite scene in the book, like I mentioned earlier, the high school swim meet everyone thinks is the worst ticket in it town. Is. <laughs> Dee Dee rubbed her hands together nervously, trying to concentrate on the scene before her. The room was very warm and smelled strongly of chlorine, and her nerves felt frazzled from the periodic sound of the gun being fired as the swimmers took off. Oh, I'm so uncomfortable. Yeah, um, okay. So many details and so many questions from me. For example... Why is Dee Dee acting like she doesn't know where her next fix is going to come from? <laughs> and go ahead. I would, I would guess that my main question, actually, even above that, would be why are they shooting a gun at a school? Like, did no one have a whistle to start the race? Okay. To answer your questions, I would say that Dee Dee does not know where she is getting her next fix from. So that's why she that's acted true. like this. Um, it was the 80s, so they were, like, less concerned with gun safety, maybe, and it seems very clear that no one had a whistle. Right. I am... Well, I'm disturbed. I am very, very disturbed. Um, would you like to do a quick palate cleanser before we sign off, Vanessa? Yes. Yeah, let's do that. Okay. Are you ready for a round of fuck, marry, kill? Yes. Well, it's my turn to ask this time, so... White boy can't jump. Todd Wilkinson. Beta cut. (laughs) Insult. It's Wilkins. Oh. 
I was close. It doesn't. <laughs> it does not matter. He'll be gone next book. Uh, Beta Cuck, Winston Egbert, and Stage Five Clinger, Dee Dee. Actually, this one is a lot easier. Is it? Then I would have killed. Yeah, two it of is. These people. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. I'll marry Dee Dee. Obviously. Because that one was easy. she's working through her issues. Yeah. She's found her own interests. It seems like she'd be a solid partner. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm definitely going to kill Beta Cuck Winston Egbert. Ooh. Yeah. And I'm going to fuck Todd Ooh. because I know, but it's like at least he probably has like a nice bod. And he's moving away, like, next week. So never have to see him again. I feel like I would have fucked Winston because he's just such an idiot that I could have, like, denied it and been (laughs) like, that never happened. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. That's a good move. That's another strategy. Scorpio move, baby. (laughs) All right. All right. <clears throat> well, that was well, lots of appellate cleanser. Our time here. I'm sorry that Sweet I picked like, the, the worst people. <laughs> but I did. So, hey, listeners. Thank you so much for listening. Be sure to come back next time when we'll be discussing book number 23, Say Goodbye. I promise to cackle with joy the entire episode. One more time for the folks in the back. Bye, Felicia Todd. Sweet Valley Highnesses, including our theme song, is produced by producer Candace Silva. You can follow us on SoundCloud and Apple Podcasts. Just search us by name, Sweet Valley Highnesses. If you like what you hear, please rate and leave us a kind review. Or just like a review. I read them. Vanessa doesn't. They're like Yelp (laughs) reviews. I think it's funny. Whatever. But please do follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Podcasts. To stay updated on all things Wakefield. There are links to all of those things on our website, sweetvalleypodcast.com. If you have questions, comments, or want to share a story about how you two threw a party for a frat without providing alcohol, <laughs> you can email svhighpodcast <laughs> at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Bye! Bye! Sweet Valley Podcast.